So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to today's event. Uh, my name is uh, Professor Alnor Bimani, uh, Director of LSE Entrepreneurship. Uh, very pleased to welcome Professor Mohamed Yunus uh, back to the LSE. He is a frequent visitor. Some of you may have uh, seen him before. Um, so by, by way of background, uh, Professor Yunus was educated at Dhaka University and uh, was a Fulbright Scholar at Vanderbilt University. He served as Chairman of the Economics Department at Chittagong University before devoting his life to providing uh, financial services to the poorest of the poor. He is a founder of Grameen Bank, uh, which was conceived from the idea that access to capital enables people to escape poverty. Uh, the bank sought to reduce the exploitation of the poor by money lenders. Uh, it sought to create opportunities for self-employment in rural Bangladesh initially and to promote self-financing for those in extreme poverty. Uh, Grameen Bank, since its creation, has extended credit to over 8 million people, of which over 90% are women. The microcredit concept that Grameen started has helped uh, shaped the lives of over 100 million people across the world. Professor Yunus is uh, the author of a number of best-selling books, including Banker to the Poor, Creating a World Without Poverty, and Social Business. Uh, the three books some of you have uh, perhaps purchased a copy outside. Uh, Professor Yunus will be signing copies after the event. Uh, in October 2006, uh, Professor Yunus was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize along with Grameen Bank for their efforts to create economic and social development. Professor Yunus was awarded a doctorate uh, from the LSC in 2011. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of 50 that he's been awarded, but uh, no doubt he's, he's most prized. <laughs> Uh, last year he was. Uh, um, You're uh, not supposed to say that. I'm not supposed to say that. No, I, I know. <laughs> last year he received the U.S. Congressional Gold Medal. Now, uh, before beginning uh, the the conversation today, I just wanted to highlight that uh, this week is is the Global Entrepreneurship Week. Uh, it's the world's largest campaign to promote entrepreneurship and inspire a new generation of entrepreneurs to start their own businesses. Uh, as well as being webcast on LSE Live, uh, today's event is also streamed by the Global Entrepreneurship UK website and a number of partner websites across the globe. Uh, just one or two notices before we begin. Uh, for those of you uh, who are Twitter users, you'll have the hashtag here. Um, uh, uh, we, we sort of, uh, you can follow us on, on uh, Twitter as well at LSE Ship. Uh, if you have a phone on, I would ask you to switch it off, please. Uh, the uh, event is being recorded and hopefully will be made available as a podcast. Uh, I, will, uh, I have the opportunity to ask uh, Professor Yunus a few questions, and after that I'll invite the audience to uh, ask him more questions, uh, and then there'll be the book uh, signing event. Uh, so uh, please join me in welcoming Professor Yunus. Thank Thank you. 
Now, uh, Professor Yunus, you've, you've said a number of times and you've repeated this in your books that uh, market-based capitalism is kind of just half what the world needs and the other half is perhaps something that you've referred to as social business. Uh, can you expand on what you mean by that? Uh, briefly, what I'll say that uh, <clears throat> I've been complaining about the system as we build because when you work at the very bottom level. You see, uh, most of the things that happen to them is not because of uh, any shortcoming of their own, or any uh, thing that they have done wrong. That's why they are in the right, uh, wrong place. I see it's all uh, produced by the system to make, create that kind of situation. So I say, for example, poverty. I said poverty is not created by poor people. Again and again, I keep seeing that. They are very entrepreneurial, very willing to do, want to do hard work. I do a lot of hard work, but can't get out of it. So the poverty is imposed from outside. So it's not self-produced phenomenon. It's an externally imposed phenomenon. And that's the system I'm talking about, the global uh, capitalist system, uh, which kind of a system which leaves these people alone and kind of sucks the juice from the bottom and sends it at the top. So the top becomes very juicy. Uh, that's what we call income disparity. Uh, I don't think with the existing system that we have, all that we teach, all this practice, uh, is going to solve that uh, income disparity problem. It will continue to grow. You can improve the quality of life at the bottom. Yes, it is possible. But that doesn't mean income disparity will come down. By the time you bring the poor people a few inches above, there'll be miles they'll be moving out on the, uh, on the top. So income disparity will continue. Uh, poverty will be, quality of poverty may change. They're a little better than before. People will have better way to live. But that doesn't mean that they have really participating in the system. Uh, you look at the unemployment situation today or anywhere in the world, particularly in Europe, you see it very glaringly, the young unemployed people. And I kept raising the question, why are they unemployed? Is there something wrong with these young people? No, they are very active, energetic young people. Uh, and then why are they being pushed into the trash? Somebody is pushing into the trash. They cannot use their own talent on creative power. And it's because system created the situation. So that's the kind of thing that I'm saying. This is a very grossly flawed system that creates all this situation. And why? Because of the misinterpretation of human being. That's my key thing. This theory has misinterpreted human being, assumed human being is a selfish being. All they want to do in their lifetime is to make money, chase money. They, they continue to chase money. Money has become their passion. Money has become their addiction. And they don't know why they want money, but they keep on making money. Because that's the only thing theory says you can do. Because in the business, it's a maximization of profit or profit-making business. So entire thing is based on selfishness. So theory, theory has interpreted human being as a selfish being. I said that's a very narrow interpretation of a human being. And if you do it only as a selfish being, you're distorting the human being in a very bad way. Uh, real human being is much bigger. First of all, real human being is not a money-making robot the way theory has created us. Because now we, we do that and we turn ourselves into robots. We chase that thing. Uh, what about the selflessness in human being? 
this is no room, there is no room for selflessness. So I said, why don't you bring the selflessness in the picture? At least there will be two things. Human being, being multidimensional being rather than one-dimensional being, you can add other multidimensional elements like it's selflessness. So we created many instances of business based on selflessness. That's what we call social business. Non-dividend company to solve human problems. Today that part doesn't exist. So you have only one part, selfish part. So I say existing structure is almost, is, as if you can imagine, is standing on one leg. That's why it's so unstable, so obli. So you need to add other part, the selflessness part. Then you have two parts. You have a selfish business, you have a selfless business. So it's a choice. Present system doesn't give you a choice. Although we say uh, the beauty of the capitalist system that offers option to people. That's true, but not in the case of business. It has only one kind of business, business to make money. So I said, let's give uh, options. If all these young people have studied, there are two kinds of business. One is to make money, one is to change the world, to solve problem, because that's the purpose of the social business. Then world will be a different place. That's what I'm saying. It's half done story. You have to complete it by adding other dimensions, which are very important. Right. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now. If you, if you talk about democracies, they tend to be wedded to the idea of market-based capitalism. What, what's your sense of the role of government in enabling social businesses to grow? Uh, in all my interpretations, all my explanations, I always focused on capacity of individuals, to explore the capacity of individuals. And that's the reason I said this is another mis, uh, misdirected thing coming out of the uh, present interpretation of human being that all human beings uh, go to turn into job seekers as if that's where we are born this is an un un unwritten uh, kind of uh, instruction to every student have a good grade uh, to so that you can get a good job why job job is a very tiny use of your talent you are a creative power you are a huge big young entrepreneurial and creative person. Why should you start in a tiny little, because when you start a job, you always start at the bottom. You can't go in the middle, you can't go to the top. That's not the way you start. And always a tiny place. Always something very limited scope for you to do. So you squeeze your big entity into a tiny little slot. I said that is a damaging concept, that you are wasting your creative power. By the time you go step by step, at the middle level of the ladder, you already exhausted yourself, you turn into another robot into the system. So I said, why can't you encourage the entrepreneurial power so that every person becomes entrepreneur? Go into entrepreneurial activity so that you can express yourself. And that, if you want to entrepreneur, I kind of jokingly said you start at the top. You're not at the bottom anymore. So you express yourself in that fashion. So to answer your question, I'm emphasizing the individuals first. If the individuals start changing, governments have to change. If you leave everything to the government, government will be autocratic, government will be um, uh, um, uh, inefficient, because you are leaving everything to the government, you are not doing anything, you are just shouting and complaining and so on. You're not. But if you do something, then government has to accept that you, this can be done better, so we have to still do better in order to justify what the government is. So government has a role, very, very important role, because after all, the whole society, whole nation, is uh, something uh, to uh, 
uh, oversee the whole thing is the government responsibility. But government responsibility today, the way we work in the system, as if solving all problems is the government job. And I contest that. I said, right. That's not the way. Government will try their best to solve the problem. But we citizens lead the way. Right. Then government follow us to do more. And government job is to help us uh, in creating the framework so that you can work comfortably. So that the ideas and things are recognized. Best role for the government would be become the cheerleader. Right. That you're doing great. What do you need? Let us know. That's okay. what the role is. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Now, um, since Grameen Bank was started, it has numerous successes, um, and, and an interesting uh, uh, emergence is, is the idea of joint ventures. So you've got you know profit-making organizations like Intel or Adidas or, 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 or Danone, and then you've created Grameen Danone, Grameen Intel, and so on. Um, so it looks like traditionally profit-seeking businesses are now expanding into areas of social businesses. Can you talk a little bit about, no. about this joint uh, I, I mentioned that uh, there will be two kinds of business. Right. social business and the money-making business. So I tell the uh, business community, I said, look, just because you do the money-making business is not your fault. Theoreticians made it happen to you right. because that's the only thing you can do. But you're good people, but put into a wrong work. You are so focused on making money, you forget the rest of the world. Right. You have no time because theory doesn't allow you to look at anything. Right. They always say business is business meaning you can't look at anything else. Right. You focus on making money. But if we accept the two kinds of business, social business and money-making business, you have one chance. You can create a parallel business alongside. A business which is based on selflessness. Same people who are running the selfish business can also run the selfless business because it is in their heart. Simply they are never allowed to open that up. This allows to open it up so that you can do that. Then you can choose later on, how big the social business would be, how big the money-making business would be, it's your choice. You can make those choices. In these cases of big companies that you mentioned, Danone, Adidas, and other things, I didn't go and preach them anything. No. They read about it, read my books, and got excited, heard my, the way I speak. I was speaking. And they became very interested. Why don't we do something about social business? So they came to me. Danone was the first one who came to us and wanted to do start a social business. We explained. At the, at the beginning, I was very suspicious. I thought they thought this is another opportunity for them to make money. So repeatedly, I was explaining, <laughs> repeatedly I was explaining there is no chance. You can't smell money here. <laughs> this is a business. is a non-dividend business. So that's what it should be. They said, we understand everything. We read your book and you heard your speeches. So this is what we want to do. Tell us what we can do. So we sat down designing, a, first of all, locating a particular problem they can solve. So after lots of options, we decided on addressing the problem of malnutrition among the children in Bangladesh. Bangladesh is one of the many countries where children are malnourished. Half the children of Bangladesh are malnourished. So we thought, why don't you address this problem? And to address that problem, we kind of come up with the idea of creating a very special kind of yogurt. With yogurt, because they're a yogurt company, I thought this would be easy for them to go into that route. <laughs> but this is very special yogurt put all the micronutrients which are missing in the children into that yogurt and make it a very powerful yogurt. And if you put all those micronutrients, vitamin, iron, diodine, zinc, all kinds of things into a little cup of yogurt, it will taste very ugly, I can tell you that. <laughs> because these are chemicals. 
So, but the beauty of it, they, they have the technology in their hand. They ch- suppressed that ugly taste and made it a very delicious taste, which children love. They tested the different taste with the children that came out with one everybody loves, so they used that taste. So children love this and made it very cheap. Once you remove the idea of making profit personally, then a lot of things can be dispensed with. You don't need it anymore, and the cost comes down right away. So we made it very cheap and started producing it. Children love it. Now they're eating it, and they're changing their health condition. So this is one that a parallel social business idea. McCain, another big company. I didn't know what the McCain does. So they said, we want to be, we want to be with you to have social business. I said, um, can you tell me what you do? <laughs> they were feeling a little awkward that they have to introduce themselves. Uh, they said, do you like French fries? <laughs> I said, yeah, I like French fries. <laughs> said, wherever in the world you eat French fries, most likely it is McCain French fry. Then I said, oh my God, you're big. <laughs> so they said, yes, we are big. 80% of the French fry business is our business. So only 20% for the rest of the other people. So you can imagine how big that is. So they were very interested. And we said, okay, we'll do it. So now we have a joint venture with McCain. We work in Colombia. Because in Colombia, uh, one thing happened very sad. Uh, Colombia lost its coffee business. Uh, Coffee business shifted to Asia, to Indonesia, to Vietnam, and other places. So nobody wants Colombian coffee anymore. People who invested in Colombian coffee, their businesses, they they got back to their uh, country, wherever they prefer, they go to Indonesia and other places. So the coffee growers are sitting idle. They have no work. So they're uh, getting involved in drug business and other things in uh, Colombia. So they were repeatedly saying that, please help us to do something. So I thought this is a good connection. So we have a joint venture. We named it Campo Vivo. And Campo Vivo helps those um, coffee uh, farm workers. Actually, they are workers. They're not even farmers. Farm workers. We are not turning the farm workers into farm owners. Grow potato. And potato, which gives uh, with the te- technology coming from McCain, their yield immediately at least increased by 50%. And they said there's a lot more scope to enhance it more, but we have to train them up. So today, this, is, this month is their harvest, harvesting season for the first season. So that's another one. Uh, and they got the international prize for that. And uh, uh, that collaboration became very important for us uh, in that. So these are the kind of things. It's, it's, it's not that we are denying the existence, of the existence of the conventional business. We said, okay, you can start the social business on the side. And we make it very easy for them to understand. I said, you give, it, you give away money anyway. Call it CSR. In CSR, you're writing check and giving it to people, to NGOs and somebody. I said, well, you can have a better use for your CSR money. Why don't you invest in a social business? This will be your company. Your brand name will be there. And you can tell people what things you are solving, what problem you are solving, whether it's unemployment problem, whether it's welfare problem, whether it's the health problem, whether it's a technology problem, anything you want. You design because you are a creative business anyway. All your creative power was devoted in making money. But that creative power can also be used in solving problems in a business way. So why didn't she use the same creative power to do that? So this is what not only for these companies, we are asking all other companies, 
create a social business, tiny little social business. You don't have to be a mega business right away. But as you enjoy, you can expand it. So many companies now are willing to do that. Very interesting. Very good. Must make sure I eat more yogurt and chips. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to it. <laughs> now, when, when you began uh, the idea of a Grameen Bank, um, my understanding is that the approach you took was you've got individuals who could benefit from uh, the availability of capital and being able to borrow. And, and the idea was then an equal number of men and women would access that. Exactly. But then very quickly you change strategy and you, say, you said actually women who are borrowers produce much more benefits and the model changed and in the end you've got more than sort of 90% of your borrowers being women. Can you talk a little bit about that, that realization and how that came about? Yeah. Uh, when you say it, it looks very sophisticated thing that's been done. <laughs> it's done very casual way, okay. very okay. casual. <laughs> the first thing, how it started, I was teaching in the university next door to a village. So I was trying to see if there's something that I can do as a person, as a human being, to help people, to poor people in the village. And I, in the process, I saw a lot of things. I learned a lot of things about the village, which I'd never learned in the books, in the classes, and so on. One thing I kept noticing again and again, the loan sharking. Tiny loans are given to poor people by some a little bit better off person. And in exchange, they grab everything the other person has. That's the loan sharking. And every day you hear news stories about loan sharking. And you hear about it, you feel terrible about it. You feel so ugly that people can be so cruel to each other, even at that level. They are not big people. They are just tiny little uh, few extra cash which they lend to other people. And you don't know what to do. But you, f you feel furious about it, but you can't do anything because it's such an entrenched system. Suddenly it came to my mind, I can do something for few people here. I cannot solve the global problem of loan sharking, but in this village, I can handle some few people. The idea was simple. Why don't I lend the money myself? If I lend money, then they don't have to go to loan shark. Their problem is solved. It's not a big uh, rocket science to do that. So I started lending money right away, giving money to people, and it became very popular. Everybody wanted to borrow money. Well, who shouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> so this is how progress was being done. And I was very excited that people liked this idea. And I thought I have solved the problem which was there for ages. Now, by giving them the money, they don't have to go to loan shark. They are free. They are sort of liberated people. They don't have to go. Then the problem began after a couple of months. I ran out of money. <laughs> <laughs> because it became so popular. Everybody wanted to borrow money from me. So then I started looking for who can give the money. Because I want to continue this. I don't want to stop this. So I went to the bank. This is the first contact with the bank. Bank said, no, we cannot give you money because poor people are not credit worthy. So I had a big fight, saying all kinds of nasty things to them. I don't want to repeat that. <laughs> and that thing, campaign from, from my side, single person campaign, continued against the banking system. And ultimately, I couldn't open the door for, by my arguments. What I did, I offered myself an option that they understand. I offered myself as a guarantor. I said, I'll be guarantor. You give me the papers, I'll sign. I take the risk and you give the money. So that finally worked. They agreed to do that in a limited way. I said, okay, that's good enough for me. That was the beginning of my contact with the bank and all that. 
But bank was becoming very reluctant as it grew because it flourishing. Everybody wants money. So bank said, no, we can't go any further. They started delaying and taking time. I was getting, again, very, very agitated that they're playing tricks with me. So I said, why don't they create a separate bank? I don't need this bank. So another struggle began to create a bank. We started in 1976. In 1983, we became successful in creating a bank. In the beginning, when I started lending money, I was criticizing, before I started lending money, I was criticizing the bank. I said I was nasty. One of the nasty thing I was saying, you are a funny institution because you are supposed to lend money to people. That's what the bank is supposed to do. You do it in a very funny way. You lend money to people who already have lots of money. <laughs> you don't lend money to people who don't have money. I said the logical thing should have been the reverse. You lend money to people who don't have money. They laugh. They said, oh, how innocent this guy is. He doesn't, understand. <laughs> he doesn't understand a thing about the world. I didn't understand because it didn't make sense. Then I said, not only you don't lend money to poor people, you don't lend money to any woman. Even she has lots of money. You don't do that. No, they said, no. I said, yes. I said, your statistics tell not even 1% of our, all your borrowers happen to be women. So you are completely discriminating the women against your system. While this is going on, I was giving examples how they do it, how the discrimination is built into the system. And my turn came to start lending work. So first decision I took, there are two basic decisions in the beginning. Half the borrowers in my program must be women because I was so critical of the bank. So, they, so that later on they cannot say, aha, you did the same thing. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure I don't appear like that. So I wanted to do half the borrowers. And I instructed the, my girl student to go and talk to the women. I cannot go because I am a man. I'm not allowed to talk to women in the village. So I'll take the girl students with me and they will go inside and talk. But every time they go and talk, they say, no, no, don't give the money. We don't need money. We don't know what to do with money. So my students were getting very upset again and again. I send them, they do the same thing, come back with the same result. Literally, they say, we entered the village from this side, the women run away the other side. <laughs> they are coming to give you money. <laughs> I said, oh my God, this is that bad. She said, yes, so. I said, why do you insist on giving money to women? Because they don't have any need for money. So I had to say something. I said, look, when a woman says, I don't know what to do with money, I'm afraid of money, always remember this is not her voice. This is the voice of the history which created her. She's covered with fears and fears and layers of fears. Society always tell her that you're no good, you can't do anything, you're not supposed to do this. So that's the one that you're talking to. So don't get kind of discouraged just, just because she's, her fears are saying that, oh, I should stay away from it. I said, our job is to go back again and again to her. Try to build up confidence. Try to peel off these layers and layers of fears. So that someday, one woman here, one other woman there say, maybe I should try. If one woman tried and be successful, then her neighbors become curious. How did she do it? They say, maybe I should try. Another few people will try. And it will snowball. It took us six years to come to that even numbers, 50-50. Then we saw money going to the family through women. Brought so much more benefit to the family than money going to the family through men. Same amount of money. Then we changed our mind. So why are we insisting on 
What is the beauty of 50-50? Why don't we focus on women? They are the one who is producing the best result for the family. So gradually we switch to women, getting emphasis on the women. As a result, our growth became very slow because we cannot get many women to come. Men are lining up to take money. We said, you have to wait until we finish with the women. After we complete with the women, then we'll come back to you. So we continued with women. And today we have eight and a half million borrowers, 97% women. And then we took this idea outside the country. Many people copied it outside the country. And they didn't even bother with men anymore. They stayed away going to the women and continued the 100% women. We were invited to do it in the United States in 2008. So we created Grameen America, started a branch in New York, uh, in Jackson Heights. And we followed the same principles. We brought someone from Bangladesh, one of our branch managers, to come and set it up because they are trained. They said, do exactly what you do in Bangladesh. Don't worry which country it is. Even if you don't understand the language, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you do exactly what you do, and you don't listen to anybody. They will say, don't work. You just continue. They made a beautiful branch. And then everybody saying, we should have more branches. We'll give you money to expand. Right now, we have eight branches in New York City. In every borough of New York, we have branches. And then we have more than 25,000 borrowers in New York City, 100% women. Not a single person is a man. Uh, average loan is $1,500. Many other cities became very, very enthusiastic to bring this idea to their cities. So we have two branches in Los Angeles, two in San Francisco, uh, one each in Houston, in Indianapolis, in Omaha, Nebraska, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Boston. So this is growing. Again, there is all women. People say, ah, how can you do it women without men? I said, well, they do a pretty, pretty good job. So why can't we concentrate on them? So in the beginning, there's a little resistance that we can't do the men and so on. But gradually, they see the benefit in addressing the women, changing its situation, and so on. This is how it spread. Thank you. It's a huge, huge achievement. Well, Thank you. Well done. Um, there are some critics yeah. of what Grameen Bank does. What, what would you say to those critics? And, and, and every great success story has critics in any case. Sure. What, are, what are your responses? Well, the first critic was the man himself in the family <laughs> because we are giving loan right. to the women. Right. His wife, sure. he didn't like it, so he became a strong right. opposition leader for us. <laughs> so that's so 50%. Yes, yeah, that's, that's a 50% <laughs> opposition. Then the next opposition, next critic, critic was the uh, religious people. They didn't like that we were giving loans to women. They said, you're destroying the religion. Then we started contesting that. How did we destroy the religion? I thought we were enhancing the religion, then destroying the religion. No, no, we are destroying the religion. You cannot lend money to women. Then we started giving some religious examples, which worked. We kept saying, you know what? When Prophet started his life, he, st he started his life, he worked under a woman. And that's how he began. And the later on, he married this woman. So if you want to be a good Muslim, you, want, you have to follow the footsteps of the Prophet. If you want to do the full, you follow the footsteps, first you have to work under a woman. <laughs> then you have to marry a businesswoman, because, he, <laughs> because that's what he did. If you cannot find businesswomen, we have plenty of them. <laughs> we'll help you. 
So, so it keeps coming. The critics say we are sucking blood of the poor people. That's one another criticism. I said, how can I or anybody suck the blood? Because the Grameen Bank is owned by the borrowers. So you have to, they have to suck their own blood. We can't go out from outside to suck the blood. So that's also unfounded because they don't, they sit in the board, they make their policies because our borrowers are the owners of the bank. So there's, that's no thing. So you make it so hard for them to uh, pay back. They, sometimes they sell homes and something. I said, these are your imagination because these are our owners of the bank. They will not allow anybody to uh, take away their own, uh, their own property and so on. And one of the fundamental pillars of Grameen Bank, when we designed the bank, we said, first, one of the f- basic principles is we should not do anything which will harm the borrowers. We will not put anything in a fashion of penalty for any, do, any, some, any violation of any rule. So there is no penalty involved in that. If they cannot pay, we extend their time period. People Then bankers ex- attack us. This is not right. You cannot ex- uh, um, reschedule the uh, loans. That is unacceptable. I say it's very much acceptable. All you want is provisioning. So every time you reschedule, 50% of the outstanding loan is provisioned, meaning it's considered at the expense of the bank. So that the bank expenses become huge if you do that. But we cover your cost because we know very well this money will come back. But only she could not pay back on time because well, people, poor people, have lots of difficulties. They miss some installment here, miss some installment there. Instead, instead of giving you back, say, in 52 weeks, she makes it 60 weeks. Is this something make the bank fall apart? No, she's paying back, and she's paying interest on it. What's wrong with it? You are bringing your old banking habit to punish people if they cannot do it on time. We don't want to do that. This is their bank. We make our rules flexible. You can take as much time as you want. If you have difficulty, in the middle of the period, you can come back and say, I cannot pay you back in 52 weeks that I promised. What do you want? Can you extend it by another 20 weeks? Of course, come back. We'll do it for another 20 weeks. As long as you're paying, I have no problem with you. All I have to do to keep the bankers satisfied, the regulators satisfied, whatever outstanding loan there is, we just make 50% of that money provision, meaning added to that expenditure. That's all. But our money comes back. So these are the things basically people argue that criticize. And somebody will say, maybe you are addressing the non-poor people. I said, we are born to address the poor people. That's our old mechanism is you start with the poorest people. We have very elaborate definition, who is the poorest person, how do you identify the poorest person, uh, what kind of uh, indications she will have in order to make sure that he's a poorest person. And we, we make it tougher than that by making it p- poor women, not just men. So it, it becomes extra difficult. So there are lots of criticism. If you can mention one specific one that I should uh, respond to, I'll be happy to do that. Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. So, one last question from me. Um, if um, members of our audience and outside were inclined to start a social business, what yeah. advice would you give them? Come and join us. <laughs> <laughs> First, create a social business in your mind. Define or identify what problems you want to solve, because social business is a problem-solving business. So you must identify what problem you are going to solve. There are so many. First, make a list of all the problems that you see around yourself, that you hate to see all this problem. Poverty, 
unemployment, climate change, housing, drugs, whatever, old age, uh, anything, sanitation, uh, health care. So make all those lists. And look at that list that you made and find one that you want to really solve and say, this is the, I want to address the healthcare. Then you make a list of what kind of healthcare problem you see. Is it primary healthcare, is it something? Identify, narrow it down. Because all social business starts very small. You can handle it easily. So once you do that, then you start building a business idea. Suppose you want to solve the problem of unemployment. Issue looks like a big issue, unemployment. Youth unemployment, that's more exciting youth unemployment, because you're a young person, you want to solve the problem of youth unemployment. It's a big problem, but always start with a very small size of that problem. Take a little slice of that problem. What will be the little slice? You decide, I want to solve the problem of five unemployed young people. Five. Not five million or five billion people. Just five. And I want to create a business where these five people will be absorbed. They will have decent salaries and so on. They will, and it will be a business. It will cover its cost. And I can get my money back. And the business will continue. And these six, five people will be happy with this business they have. And then the further profit they make, this will be plowed back into the business so that it can expand. Maybe now they can hire another person, six person. It can expand by itself. It's very easy. But what will be that business? That's what you have to think about. What business will make it happen? So once you create that business in your mind, write it down. This is your business plan. That is the essence of social business. Rest is investing money. So we are, we are everywhere we try to do, we start with creating a social business fund. Like we do in Albania. We have Albania Social Business Fund. We work in Tunisia. We create, with social, create social business fund, Tunisia. Then we ask everybody in the country, come up with business idea, social business idea. And we'll have a competition. We'll take the top five, top ten, and invest in that out of this money. So in, in, in Tunisia, we did it about six months back. We put it in an ad. Just announcement, not ad, really announcement in the website and the um, uh, social media that this is what we do. This is the quality of a social business, defined social business so that people understand. And gave them one month time. At the end of one month, you have to submit within one month. Uh, we thought maybe we'll have about 100 such social business plans or maybe 150 or so. It's about the size that we're expecting. We ended up 2,300 business plans, beautiful business plans. Our people who were working with them were very nervous. So many of them, how do we select? So selection out of this 2,300 became a big, big job to go through it. And finally, shortlist about 50, and finally out of 50, make it 15. We, are, we don't have enough money in the fund. We can only fund about five of them. So we go through a lot of procedures, interviews, and discussions, and get them together. Finally, we select five of them, and they start investing in them. So you make a big problem, put it into a small thing. So always in social business, think the biggest problem. But when you start, take the thinnest slice of it, slice of it and start it. 
and it becomes okay. So if once you have your business idea, you put it in your website, in your Facebook, any, anywhere you want to do, so that you see whether people are interested to support it, invest in it. And this is what we are encouraging people to come and invest. In Albania, we had the same problem. We had lots of these businesses. And one, uh, pe- uh, one group of people, you may be familiar, Kiva, who does a lot of work with the microfinance, uh, they become interested in our social business also. They said, can we uh, do it in uh, our website? He said, yeah, let's do that. So we gave them a project out of this with $25,000 project, a social business. And they put it in their platform, advertised it, gave all the details of the business and asked for investment. Less than 24 hours, we got all the $25,000. We're very happy. It worked very well. Then we go for the next one. They said, we need a bigger one. Maybe this was too easy for people to come in. Can you give us a bigger project? Yeah, we have lots of projects. So we gave them a $65,000 project. We thought maybe this is big enough and still achievable. It took four days to get all the $65,000 on the internet. Then they say, let's make it a bigger, go beyond 100000 So we gave them a $100,000 project, which took three days to get all the $100,000. So once you have the business plan, there are many ways, and we'll be very happy to associate with you to raise the money, to have the investment and make it run, and so on. So it's a question of getting connected with us. There is an uh, internet uh, address, which is social businesspedia, one word, social businesspedia. If you look into it, there are lots of information about this, all the social businesses around the world, and you can ask questions, you can make suggestions, and this is one way to get uh, linked with us. And we have... Every year, we have a global social business summit to bring everybody in one place to celebrate all the social business done and all the new ideas coming in different directions coming, businesses who are involved with us in the joint ventures, many new businesses, uh, companies come to meet with us, discuss with us in this summit. This year, it will be in Mexico City. Uh, next next week, actually, 20, it starts on 25th. 25th is the academic day. All the academicians who are running social business centers, social business institute, social, who are holding the chair of social business in many universities, they all come together, discuss their research plans, and hold a thing. Second day is the young people. All the young people from different world who are young people create a lot of social business community of their own. There's one community called Make Sense. There's one community called YY Community. There's various names they have. Uh, there's one community called My Vision. They're all dedicated to social business. They will be assembling the next day on the 26th. On the 27th and 28th of November, all the social businesses will be doing that. So this is another place. You can watch it on uh, live stream and so on. You can do that. Many of our events are live stream. You can watch it. You can see what if it makes sense to you. We'll be very happy. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Expect a lot of uh, hits from sure, the let's audience see. here. Okay, I'd like to open up now to uh, members of the audience to ask Professor Yunus uh, questions. There is a roving mic. If you could um, uh, say who you are and, and keep your um, question to us. I think there's a lady over there. Um, thank you very much for your very enthusiastic uh, and motivating talk, Professor Yunus. Uh, my name is Sana Musharraf, and I'm from Pakistan. Um, and uh, I'm here, a postgrad student in law and accounting. My question to you is that 
though now you're expanding the Grameen network, um, you initially started from a context which was known to you, a culture which was known to you. And business is a social entity itself. Now that you're expanding globally, um, how much of your success as a social business is dependent on the context in which it's operating? Because culture varies, political climate, economic situations, they do impact. So this is one aspect that your critical success factor in different markets. And secondly, um, there must be challenges. And a key challenge that you feel that going global, uh, and how do you overcome it, or your team overcomes it? Thank you. Uh, I try to simplify things rather than think in a complicated way. Because if you think complicated way, there's no end to it. You'll always find something um, will stop you doing that. So I think same. I, to make me feel comfortable, I come to the conclusion that all people around the world, if you look at them, 98% is all about similarity among them. 98%. I just threw this number. <laughs> Make it simple for me. And only 2% is about the difference. But as a, as a kind of researchers and academics and media people, we love to create sensation. So we focus always on the difference, the 2% difference, as if that is what human beings are all about. Human beings are absolutely the same, no matter what language you speak, where you live, what you do, it's the same problem. If you go to the poor people, they speak the same language, language of poverty, deprivation, and so on. It's spoken in a different thing. To give an example, illustration, how I come to this conclusion. Uh, we were invited to start a Grameen program in Guatemala. So we selected four of our senior managers to go and start that project in Guatemala because they are providing all the funding and so on. You go, just do it. But Bangladesh is a country nobody speaks Spanish. <laughs> but they have to go and do in a Spanish country, Spanish-speaking country. So we talked to the university people, if they have any Spanish course, they can give them some crash course. So Dhaka University have some Spanish courses, so we enrolled them, they had their three months course. And they are going and say, well, we can now at least have a conversation, a little bit of conversation, that's good. So we went there, and we encouraged them to take a local course on Spanish. So they did another three months of local course. And then went out to the location, which is remote places, and called Atik, Lake Atiklan. There's a all around the mountain, and the, in between is the Lake Atiklan. People live in the mountains, Mayan people. So about two and a half years later, I was invited to come to celebrate all the things they have done. Lots of borrowers and so on. They're very happy. So I went there. There's a big gathering of all the people. There are four different ridge areas around Atiklan. They all get together. So the stuff that we send. They're now speaking on the microphone in, in the Spanish language, beautiful, everybody understands. I said, my God, in two and a half years, you're quite fluent in Spanish already. They look at each other. We are not speaking Spanish. <laughs> I said, what language are you speaking? These are all Mayan language. <laughs> there are 38 Mayan languages in Guatemala. <laughs> Around this lake, we work in four parts of this lake. 
and there are three different Mayan language that we have to speak. So each one speak the same. Our Spanish, nobody understands. I could as well speak Bangla. <laughs> if you speak Bangla, they will be looking at it. If you speak Spanish, they will be looking at us. <laughs> Said, so then how did you do all these things? We figured it out. Said, money is the best language. <laughs> Everybody understands. So we worked it out. Gradually we learned a few words. Now we communicate with each other. That's fine. So this is the common experience. When we send people to do it in uh, Jackson Heights, the first one, he was complaining that I've never been to the United States. You are sending me to the United States. What do I do? I said, that's why I'm sending it to the United States, because you've never been there. You have nothing to do with the United States. You just go to the people. Work with the people. They speak the same language you hear in the Bangladeshi villages. Because Grameen Bank doesn't work in the city of Bangladesh. So all in the village. So I said, the language of the women in Bangladesh is the same language they speak in the Jackson Heights of New York City. It's the same language. This is how we simplified it for ourselves. It work. Because once you go there, the same problem, same tussle with the husband, with the boyfriend, with the abandonment, with all kinds of things, same thing. We don't call it boyfriend in Bangladesh. We call them husbands. <laughs> and they abandon them very easily. Just say, I, I divorce you three times and done. Finish. Simpler than New York. <laughs> okay, uh, lady here. Hello. Hi. Uh, I'm doing my PhD here now. And I was wondering, so in addition to having a PhD from here, well done, what is your biggest achievement? Like, what are you most proud of? Uh, from LSE or just in general? <laughs> in general. <laughs> like, so what are you most proud of in your life in general? Well, I would say I feel happy that uh, I'm working on something which works. It touches people's life. And it makes sense to other people. I could have done something which I understand, I feel excited about, but nobody else understands it. I could have done that. Then probably I would feel very isolated. What am I doing? But luckily what I do immediately touches people's mind and at, uh, attention, and particularly young people. They immediately understand what I'm talking My language is very easy for young people. It's very difficult when I go the senior level. they very difficult to penetrate their mind. because. It's a possibility. And I see impossibles can become possibles. Impossible is not because it's impossible. We made it impossible. We said if we turn it around, it becomes possible. And sometimes I give the example how I created Grameen Bank, what the rules and procedures, and I do it again in a simple way. I said, I didn't know anything about banking. I just, uh, when I need a rule or a procedure for Grameen Bank, I just look at the conventional banks, how they do it. Then I learn how they do it. Once I learn how they do it, I just do the opposite. <laughs> it works. And literally so. If you study Grameen Bank, you'll see it's a, a, everything we do is the opposite of conventional man. They go to men, we go to women. They go to city center, we go to remote village. After 38 years of Grameen Bank in Bangladesh, we still do not work in any city, any town in, in Bangladesh always in the rural areas, in the village areas. So we reverse that. Uh, they want collateral, we forget it. We don't want collateral. They need lawyers, we don't need lawyers. And we say we are the only lawyer-free bank in the whole world. <laughs> you don't need any lawyer, because it's based on trust. When you talk about trust, bank will co bankers will collapse. How can you do trust? What is trust? 
that's our bread and butter. That's what we do. Because all the money that we, every year we give out right now, every year is becoming bigger. This time it will be one and a half billion dollars in loans, tiny loans to these women, eight and a half million borrowers. So that's, that money is in their hand. And bankers tell me, can you sleep peacefully at night with all those money without any collateral? I said, I have very peaceful sleep. <laughs> but I'm surprised my banker friends are losing sleep on worrying about me. <laughs> because their mind is made of worries. Our mind is not worried because we, it happens. I know exactly what will happen next day. It will be absolutely clockwork. It will happen. People are all over the country, on remote villages, and our basic work principle is people should not come to the bank, banks should go to people. So we go to those eight and a half million borrowers, get the job done at their doorstep. And that's what we do. So this is how, it, so when you say accomplishment, that it makes sense to people. That it, and then because of that, it got to spread all over the world. I didn't go and set up Grameen Bank everywhere. I desisted it. I said, you do it, so simple. You come and if you want to look at what you do, you're always welcome to have a look at it. And you go ahead and do that. That's the whole wave of expanding Grameen Bank began, many, many different areas. And I see some of you, who, people who spend a lot of time with Grameen Bank, uh, spending time to see how it is done in the village level, to understand the program and so on. So this is how it is done. So I would say that makes me happy. And I'm pointing out the flaws in the system. And I'm very convinced that these are the flaws. We have to fix it. Unless we fix it, we are waiting for a bigger disaster than what we had in the past. Because these problems are not leaving us at all. No matter how much improvement, how much reform we do here, a little bit here, a little bit here, the system is always cranking out the poverty, unemployment, and everything else. Because it's built into the system. Unless you undo that system, like we did the banking system, undoing of the banking system, this will continue to do that. So reversing is a good idea. Try that out. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let me take uh, there are that some gentleman. The top, yeah. yeah, the gentleman at the top who said his hand up. Yeah, that's it. Hello, uh, my Hello. name is Petros. I'm a postgraduate here at LSC. And I wanted to ask you a question in regards to poverty reduction and inequality. So luckily at LSC, we had the privilege of hearing from Professor Bhagwati speak earlier this week when he was talking about poverty and the Pope. And in the questions asked, he kind of made it clear that um, his focus was primarily poverty. And in the discussion about inequality, the impressions you know, that I got and some of my, the audience members got was that inequality wasn't of the greatest issue um, and that poverty re reduction really is. So I was wondering if you could provide some commentary on that as well, on whether you think um, how big of an issue inequality is, at least in comparison to poverty reduction. Yeah. Well, to me, it's a big issue. Inequality is a big issue. Not because I'm not jealous of the guy who has a lot of money. That's not the point. The point is, if you have concentration of wealth in one hand or two hands, with wealth, it goes the power. You tilt the whole power of the society. You have blocked everything in your hand. Globally, if you see uh, the inequality is so horrible, uh, you read about the statistics, how concentration uh, of wealth in a few hands 
like one uh, statistics is 85 people in the whole world, 85 people own more wealth than the bottom 50% of the population of the planet. Can you imagine only 85 people have more than three and a half billion people put together? So that upsets everything. See, they, they control power of everything because they have the money. So all the power is concentrating in few hands. People in general have nothing. So to reverse that uh, idea of inequality a little bit, give it another way. 99% of the wealth of the world, 99% of the wealth of the world is in the hands of the top 50% of the world's population. So what does it mean? Only 1% of the wealth is in the hands of the bottom 50% of the world. So what kind of society is that? So this is the global figure. You do it, same exercise, you do it for UK, you'll be shocked. You do it any country, you'll be shocked. We think we're doing fine, but somehow it's stuck there. On the, because the system is always rushing everything in the top. That's how the system is made. And that system, as I was explaining in the beginning, will make probably, if you, with all our efforts, microcredit and all the social business we keep trying, if we do that, the little bit that we do, maybe enhance the quality of life of the poor people a little bit, increase their income a little bit, increase their wealth base a little bit. So by the time they will come few inches above, by that time, the top will go few miles above. So this is kind of explosive system. It cannot sustain itself. That's what the problem of inequality. It's not because, okay, I got my food, I got my car, I got my house. It's okay, who cares who the other guys are doing? We have to care because they control the politics, they control the business, they control opportunities, everything. They control the technology. What about technology? Technology is changing the whole world. And my question is, which direction this technology will go? Who decides? Money decides that factor. They are pushing the technology automatically. You don't have to speculate about it. They have the money. They want more money by the technology. So they design technology so that they can get more money. But if we can delink ourselves from the profit-making idea, you can use technology to go in the direction to solve problems. And immediately all these problems will be solved. I keep saying, if you look at the healthcare alone, I'm sure there are many healthcare people here. If you take just the healthcare, Healthcare problem can be resolved if we can turn the technology in the direction of healthcare without having any intention of making money by squeezing things, by manipulating things so that I can make more money. If you delink it, suddenly you see everything is possible. Today, the given technology at is this moment, we can have all the diagnostic services, all the diagnostic services at home, at your leisure, through your mobile phone. Is possible. I'm, I've been pushing this for many, many years now. People get excited when the young people like you become excited. They are doing the research, technology, and so on. So some guy brought to me in a university, test this one. This is what we have done in our lab. What did you do? Hold this mobile phone in your hand. I say, okay, I'm holding it. Uh, what do you see? I said, there's some graph going on there. You know what? I said, I don't know. This is your echocardiogram. I said, what about this? I had to put these things. No, you don't need anything. Just hold the thing. I said, I can do it anywhere. He said, of course you can do it anywhere. You don't go to the clinic. So you, one after another, you see all those big machines, big sophisticated things. 
my suspicion is most of those machines is to impress people. They, oh, this is complicated. You have to pay for it. But essentially, it's a very simple thing. Ultimately, in the back of all this big machine is a little chip that does all the thing. So you can pr pr practically download everything on your mobile phone. And you can constantly give your body information to a central server in the cloud so that they could monitor your health every day. Like you see the weather uh, forecast in your uh, mobile phone in the morning, you see it. Now you'll see your health forecast. Let's say, uh, eat a little more, bit more vegetable today. You did the wrong thing yesterday. Because the computer is assessing what food you took and what, what you need to. You have to walk a little bit. You have to stop walking. Today you walk at least half a kilometer. So they're maintaining your health. Prevention is the best way to ensure health. Today, entire health system is built in curing you so that you already got it. And getting the disease at the level that you have to hospitalize, you have to get serious treatment, it takes a long time to come to that. We don't pay any attention to that a long time. When it gets worse, then we say we have to go to the doctor. It's not happening. So today, every day, you know what your health is doing. What is the normal? What is happening? What you do? And you get used to all these things. That you, you are eating something. You say, ah, tomorrow I'll get this warning. They are watching me because I'm eating this. I'm not supposed to. That's how it will be done. So healthcare can be provided. And many other things can be provided through the Internet. And not just a problem of... A, a, Diagnostic services, other services. We have now, we have a joint venture with Intel Corporation. And we are using this uh, joint venture to address the maternal health. Because in Bangladesh, still maternal death is higher than what we should achieve by the Millennium Development Goal. So we want to reduce it as quickly as we can. So we did this with the uh, Intel Corporation. We did lots of different things. This latest one that we have done, we are now is an experiment right now. We developed, the Intel Corporation developed a, a hand uh, wrist, uh, wristband. Uh, and we are trying to give it a beautiful ornament color and everything so that women feel good wearing an ornament as a, uh, just like they do, uh, get the best design out of it. But actually, it's a very powerful technology that she's wearing. That ornament monitors the pregnant women, all the body information that she has. And that is built with, right now, 182 voice messages. Like something like this, one of the messages. You are in the 12th week of your pregnancy. And during this week, these are the symptoms you'll feel. And these are good. You don't have to be worried about it. But if you have this... Sometimes pregnant women develop this kind of thing. That's also okay, but you take care of this, this. But if this happens, you contact us. We have to look at you again to see that. So this is what it's done. So this is already there. It's a body information passed on, and the doctors connected with the pregnant women, whoever she is, wherever she lives, doesn't matter. Today, technology is uh, uh, distance doesn't matter anything for the technology. In Bangladesh, like many countries, we have mobile phone network everywhere. Our mobile phone network, we keep saying that it's better than network in the United States. Because wherever you go, you never lose a signal. Because it's a very compact country. So we have, to, we have to cover everything. Many, many people along the border of Bangladesh, in India, they use Bangladeshi mobile phone because this is more reliable. 
then their own mobile phones. So that's the, you have the, the moment you have the mobile phone, we have, we have 160 million people in the country, including the little babies to the oldest people. We have 120 million telephone subscribers. So you can imagine that. So everybody has a phone. And most now, the old phones, the simple phones, are going out of fashion. Nobody wants that. Everybody wants a smartphone. Once you have a smartphone, you are connected with internet, 3G, 4G, whatever you call, is there. So you can bring anything you want. If you delink yourself from the money-making idea, everything can flow in this direction to bring things simple. Because others will not do this, but then their business will go out. Because all the money they were making in the clinics, and the hospitals, and so on, it will be useless. You know, nobody will go there because I'm getting everything at home. Why should I go wait in line, make an appointment, and do this kind of thing? So this is it. Sorry I got into the inequality issue to the technology issue. Because these are all connected. Because they're money-centric. Because if you have the money power, you'll direct the economy in that direction. That's the point I was trying to make. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, perhaps one uh, the lady right at the front. Hi, I really enjoyed your talk today. Thank you very much. Thank um, you. Especially the philosophy at the beginning that you said humans are more than just making money, firms are more than just achieving profit and all that. And as the Nobel Peace Prize winner, I'm sure you've given numerous speeches around the world, even before 2006 probably. <laughs> And do you think that your philosophy is actually falling on deaf ears at the moment? Because even in LSE right now... How do you feel? Sorry? How do you feel? Is it in a deaf, deaf ear that I'm talking to you? My textbook says that sure, it's okay. firms' main objective is to make profit. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm saying is the wrong interpretation. Because so you, human beings are not money-making machines. Do you think that what your philosophy right now is actually falling on deaf ears, that what you've been preaching is not being taken seriously by everyone right now? I thought you were taking seriously. You spent <laughs> one and a half hour. <laughs> That's what makes me excited, because you spent one and a half hour listening to me. If I'm saying something which doesn't mean anything to you, you'll be walking out. I can't stop you. No, it really works. It, you have to raise this question, and it's not... It's not the philosophical question I'm making. It's a very concrete, pragmatic issue I'm raising. I'm saying that you, why are you interpreting human being as a selfish being? Give me an explanation. There is selfishness in us, of course. That doesn't mean it's all about selfishness. Human being is all about selfishness. What about the selflessness? That's the question I'm coming. Where, where is the room you give to the selflessness? Show us where you give it. There is no room for selflessness in the business world. I said, why didn't you make that room for them? Then they say, well, nobody is a selfless. I said, we'll find out once you give the space. If you build a wall, then nobody will be able to show their selflessness in them. But if you provide a space, those who need to express their selflessness, they will come here. Then you will figure out whether people are basically selfish, 99% selfish, 1% selfless, or it may be the other one. 99% selfless and 1% selfish. We don't know. Let them express. I said someday maybe we are now saying what percentage of business world will be selfless business or social business. Say maybe 1%, maybe 2%. It's such a daring thing even to think about 2% of the global economy will be 
social business. I said, why are you hesitating? Someday there will be 99% social business, 1% profit-making business. It's our choice. If I want it, you want it, that's how world world would be. I'm not waiting for the government to decide. I'm not waiting for big bank to decide. I decide my life. I, I want to. Ultimately, the whole issue, as you gather here, and as we go through the educational line, the ultimate issue is, what am I supposed to do in this world? What is the purpose of my life here? That has to be decided. That we don't study in our schools. That's the problem. Our school teaches you good economics, physics, chemistry, biology, history, everything. But they don't ask the fundamental question. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Help me to decide myself that this is what I'll be here for a very short period. I come and disappear very quickly. In the meantime, what is it that I'm supposed to do? I have to deal with that. Today, we have no question about it. You do the finish the school, do a job. That's world is finished. You have com- completed your service. Now get married, have children, and do the repeat the whole thing. That's not the world is all about. It's about exploring yourself. You have only one chance to come to this world, unless you are, of course, Buddhist. You can- <laughs> you'll come back <laughs> until nirvana <laughs> but for us it is a one time chance so we and we are packed with possibilities unlimited possibilities why should i compromise just doing tiny little things that's my grudge why are you asking me to do little things why don't you let me do the big things i'm saying that young people like you can one of the young people just one can change the whole world that's the power you have but you are asked to do a job, start a little thing, and in the meantime, by the time you to the middle of it, you already wasted all your life. You don't know what to do with yourself. That's the challenge I'm making. Make sure you know that you're the most powerful person. You can change the whole world. And ask yourself, how are you going to use this power you have? Don't fall into the trap to get a job and do things and so on. That's a trap. That's the wrong direction for young people. Human beings are not born to work in a life like tiny little slot. It's a huge human being. And that the, if you consider a human being as the size of an elephant, you will get, the world has given you the role of a, uh, a fly. Little thing. So that's what we are talking about. You can do a lot of big things. And if you just make up our mind and go and do it. Thank you. I will take a one final question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, first, a gentleman here holding the book. <laughs> book did the work. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah, here. Yes. Mudassar um, Malik, I'm an ex student. Microphone is not working. Hello? I say from the control, I think. Another one coming. Got it. Hello? Is it better? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. My name is Mudassar Malik. I'm an ex-student at the LSE. Fortunately, they didn't give me a PhD here, but uh, came close. <laughs> um, I have a question for you, which is uh, that you know, the Grameen Bank model has been extremely successful in Bangladesh. In your experience, how um, effective has it been in other parts of the world? And if it, has, if it hasn't been, why and, and, where, and, and if it has been, then where is it most effective? Um, that's the question. Yeah. Uh, we have been running 
uh, Grameen program in other countries because we are invited to do that. I gave example of USA in a little elaborate way. We also run program in Mexico, in Oaxaca, in Chiapas, and several other areas. So that works beautifully as good as, I gave examples of Guatemala. They're as good as wherever do. So our experience is you can do it anyway. We run program in China. We are invited to China. We do it in Sichuan. We do it in Inner Mongolia. Same as whatever do. So I, I see that there's no reason why it should be different in any other country. But there are lots of different kinds of microcredits in the world with lots of different kinds of success and failures and so on. The reason is many started out without adequate preparation to run it. I'll give the example of USA again. They're saying we have run 500 different types of microcredit program. None of them work. I said you can run 5,000 of them and let them fail. But I still say it will work because you it didn't succeed because you didn't do it right. And that's how the whole program came about. That's my position. So have people have different kind of things. And many people derail the whole idea abuse the concept of microcredit. One of the things microcredit earned, great respectability from the whole world. Everybody loved that idea of microcredit. And people, some people took, sniffed money in that. Used that credibility, used the respectability to, to make money out of the microcredit and derail the whole system. Lots of the complaints, lots of the criticism that one point he was raising, it's all coming from that side. Not because of the genuine microcredit who are dedicated to help the poor people overcome their problem. So this is one. And some many banks thought this is a good way to make money. They started their uh, microcredit program on the side and to make money asking for collateral, asking for the same thing, but a small loan. Giving financing for buying household goods. I said, we didn't do microcredit for household goods. Encouraging people to spend. That's not what we did. We in, gave this money as an investment money so that you can start a business. We keep repeating that don't eat up your capital. <clears throat> you are eat the income, not the capital. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's the derail. So that's why you see the varieties. Now we are trying to sort this out, which is the right microcredit and the wrong microcredit, so that people understand respectability automatically doesn't go to everybody. So we need to sort this out. These are the genuine ones. We are trying to do that and make it happen. So there are varieties for these two reasons. One, inadequate preparation. And, and the great failure of the governments and legislators. Legislators have not come up with a new legislation for creating a new banking law. That way, microcredit has remained a kind of a, a footnote in the whole financial system. It has not been mainstreamed. But the majority of the people are in the microcredit arena. That should be the major mainstream of the people because that changed the fate of the people. This is not for speculative purposes. It's for genuine hard work and produce things, stand on their own feet and take care of themselves and their families. But it's not recognized. Many people introduced me like he was introducing as a banker to the poor because that's how people like to see me as a banker to the poor. I said, that I like it. But if another banker was coming from the city, sitting here, and if you, how do you introduce him? Probably you will introduce him, he's a great banker. He has spent lifetime, blah, 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 etc. I said, would it be justified? If you have introduced me as a banker to the poor, you, sh you have to introduce him as a banker to the rich. <laughs> because that's what he does. But you don't distinguish that. So law makes the same mistake. 
There is a banking law. The moment you say banking law, as if it covers everything. It doesn't cover everything. It allows you to create a bank for the rich. Instead of calling it a banking law, you should be saying it's, it's a law for creating bank for the rich. Then automatically it will be on you, on the parliament, to create another law, to create bank for the poor. That law doesn't exist. So as a result, everything is dependent on the NGO activity. NGO problem is they don't have the money. Somebody has to give the money. So it's limited now. If it's a bank, like Grameen Bank, we don't worry about money because we take deposits and lend money. That's it. That's what the bank is supposed to do. So we, we internally generate the money. As much money we need, we have, always have the money. Sometimes we have the money, we have the problem of having too much deposit coming, not using up right away, but never shortage of money because we are a bank. If you allowed that banking law, then NGOs can convert themselves into tiny microfinance banks and start doing with the, taking deposits and earn money. That is missing part. That's the biggest missing part, and it will bug us for many many years until we do that. Great. Okay. Thank you very much, Professor Yunus. I'm afraid we'll have to close here. Uh, do join me in uh, showing our appreciation. Thank you.